0: Greetings, folks. Transmitting high atop Florida's peninsula at 108 feet in the home of where legendary pirates have been born, we transmit the Raider Cop Nation podcast. I'm your host, Alpha Mike, and today we are talking about on episode number 85, CIT again, Crisis Intervention Training. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are saying, well, wait a minute, we're supposed to have another show. But our scheduling's a little off, so guess what? You get two weeks of CIT. Remember that I told you that the programming would last ten more episodes. There's a lot on there. How long is it going to take? I told you, it could take a couple years. What, are you in a rush? Because I'm not. So it's going to take a while. So in the meantime, we're going to talk about crisis intervention it is mostly geared towards the forgotten profession the one that nobody really knows that exists in law enforcement and that is corrections why because as we said in episode number 83 that we uh, excuse me 84 that we uh, the forgotten profession is the profession that can't say no you have to take them. You have to house them. You have to have them live with you. Other than our law enforcement profession that's out on patrol, they are the best at Ubering and Lyft drivers that we can find. And in two clicks of a, of a handshake, they will transport any person with mental illness to the nearest facility and dump them. There's the system they can't say no, and they absorb them. So what are we doing on this podcast, on this episode? We're training and talking about how to be properly trained in CIT, the correctional aspect. Now, we discussed last uh, episode in the introductional part of the CIT, the police history with Memphis Police. But today we're going to discuss how the forgotten profession was forgotten in the original concept. And now, how that forgotten profession has to catch up. But we're going to take a little parenthesis on all of that. And we're going to have the leadership quote of the week. (laughs) This week's leadership quote comes to comes to us for, <clears throat> from Harry S Truman. Men make history and not the other way around. In periods where there is no leadership, society stands still. Progress occurs when courageous, skillful leaders seize the opportunity to change things for the better. Harry S Truman. And of course, our leadership quotes are always to build you up, motivate you, and get your blood moving, and that's why we bring those leadership quotes of the week to you. Now, before we get into the thicker things on episode number 85 for Crisis Intervention, we have a lot to talk about. As I said, this is going to be at least 10 episodes, and it's going to take several years to get all this out there, but I am going to teach you and talk to you about how to be properly trained in the emphasis of crisis intervention training for the forgotten profession of corrections, of which I have the pleasure of being a subject matter expert. Now, I'm not going to tell you the way that the curriculum was written, the 42 pages that I wrote, because most of what I wanted did not happen. So I'm going to tell you, the way it should be. So stick your ears, get your crayons and your box, your cardboard boxes ready, kids, so you can write down everything with sufficient detail. But before we get into that, I want to talk about some current events, and the first one being and I'm going this is an official spoil alert. Now, recently Marvel was purchased and picked up by Disney, which now has taken over the Marvel comic movie of the Avengers and completely crapped on all of us, the paying customer. Huh? The last, This last Marvel movie of the Avengers that they've put out, in a nutshell, folks, and as I said, cover your ears, cover the ears of the young children that might be in the room, because this is an official spoil alert, the movie is nothing more than a liberal twist pointing left that it kills and erodes and removes white male influence from the Marvel comics. It removes white male influence from the Marvel comic. Captain America is laid... To pasture, being old, he gives up his shield and moves on to sunny South Florida somewhere in retirement. Um, Iron Man, we won't have any need for his white intelligence either, so we've gone ahead and killed and eliminated him. And even the bad guy in the movie, he was, we don't know what he was, but he was removed also. And then Thor has become a fat, old, drunk, bearded, long-haired hippie, white Anglo that is a boob and an incompetent. What? These were the heroes when we were kids in comic books around America. We looked up to these cartoons and we actually, these comic uh, characters, and we lived up to them as children. Only to have the liberal left produce a movie, which has grossed this weekend in three days $1.2 billion. People have been robbed of their good hard-earned money into watching this crap. It was a grueling three hours long that to get to the plot you had to wait for the last 40 minutes or so. But prior to that, it was all about the liberal agenda and killing Whitey. And then eventually, they got to the plot. I could have saved my hard-earned money and not watched it. But as some of you know, I'm raising a 12-year-old. And of course, there I was, sitting in the theater. And I did those off. But I can tell you, I didn't like it. On some other issues we know now, that the Russian issue was a hoax, that the famous Bob Mueller investigation that cost millions, 20, 30, who knows what the real number is, but I've come up with $67,000 for each 400-plus 400, uh, 400 pages of that report, about $67,000 worth each page to get that's what we got. Absolutely nothing for your buck and nothing but a smokescreen. Now, all of a sudden, there are things coming to light. And those things are telling us that there was a conspiracy that went all the way to the top. Now, I don't want to have any more spoiler alerts, but stay tuned to some of your news outlets, some of them even being fake, because even the fake ones are going to have to start telling a little bit of the truth because it's coming, folks. The actual coup that has been attempted in this country, maybe for the first time that we know of, is about in the next couple of years to be shown to the American public. So stay tuned for that. All right. Enough jibby-jabbing and blah, blah, blah. It's time to get to the subject matter on episode number 85, Crisis Intervention Teams. <laughs> As we stated last episode, crisis intervention training was created out of the Memphis Police Department in 1988 after an incident that occurred with police officers in that city. The citizenry being outraged demanded change, and police went ahead and came up with a concept that changed the way police officers deal with mentally ill. Now, a lot of old-timers prior to 1988 will tell you, well, we've always had crazy people. But we kind of ad what we had to do, and we did it, and we did it very well. Most likely they did. But we got into a generation somewhere, a generation gap, where police officers were not using the initial item of force, which is hands. Now, for every time that I come up with a teaching moment, the bell will ring. So, keep that in mind. So the police officers forgot that the essential material or item that is used in force's hands, they started to go towards their Batman utility belts where they were pulling out either a club or a gun and taking matters into their own hands. Of course, most for good reason. Some might have had a couple of hiccups here and there, but the community demanded change. The Memphis Police Department took to helm for the police departments around America, but the forgotten p- profession was left out. Now, it occurred to nobody in 1988 that these folks that we were going to go ahead and deal with, and eventually some of that percentage would go to jail, that th- where they were going, people needed to be trained to be ready to accept them now of course a lot of the correction a lot of the crisis intervention training for police officers in 1988 the advocates will tell you that it was a program for diversion for jail but the sad reality you could not dictate what the criminal charge would be could you Now, liberals are good, but they're not that good. They can't figure out, well, all mentally ill people will just commit misdemeanors. So there were some that were committing felonies, and guess what? There's only one place to go when you commit a felony, and that's the hotel inn. The system that can't say no and will accept you. Once you got into that system, it was a roller coaster ride because some facilities didn't really care and would not separate them. Some tried and failed miserably. So the system or the, the career that the profession that could never say no is now getting swarmed by the numbers through the late 80s into today with mentally ill people with co-occurring disorders which they're fixing their mental illness with sort of homemade remedies like crack cocaine, alcohol, and whatever else they can get their hands on. Now, as a result of that, the industry never really caught up on the forgotten professional corrections. They basically just housed them, dealt with them, even though they were going to stay with uh, corrections two times longer or three times longer, and two to three times more expensive than any other prisoner or inmate. So, obviously, this was a hiccup in the industry of law enforcement, that the plan was only half-assed. It was not well-rounded. Even the court system took a while to catch up, but they did. They created mental illness courts around America. Some still don't have it. But the court system didn't have to house them. All they had to do was have their advocate on their behalf in the courtroom. They didn't even have to smell them. But everybody else that had to deal with them, smell them, and interact with them had to come up with answers real quick. So the agency that I worked with was one that had to come up with some answers quickly because the Department of Justice under the Obama administration, was going around slapping agencies left and right with civil civil rights uh, violations. And uh, my area, uh, my sector of, of their attack in Washington was uh, not overlooked, and they attacked very aggressively. They found themselves the Justice Department, in a time warp when they came in to investigate because the jail system was prehistoric. The policies were copy and paste, and the amount of mentally ill in the county facility was the largest mental health facility in the state of Florida. That says a lot. So as a result of that, they were caught off guard, that agency, and the Justice Department was breathing down their back more aggressively than ever. Quickly, there had to be some type of response. Now, this all kind of really came about in around 2005, around there, where the uh, inquiries started to happen. And... Um, By 07, the agency actually had a trainer which would identify what to do. Now, let's look at the training for the forgotten profession prior to the Department of Justice's overview over this agency. They had maybe, if we're lucky, eight hours of academy training that existed of maybe one sheet of paper on signs and symptoms and suicidal prevention. That's it. People were taught that white males under the age of 25 in the late hours of the night during booking were more susceptible to committing suicide. So as you graduated, the officers would look for that white male under 25 and see if he would clock out. But the sad reality was not white only. It was white, black, brown, yellow, and all kinds of colors were clocking out. So the department creates a CIT coordinator it's going to put all this training together. After several years, they've got eight hours on the books. And again, it's mostly pertaining to what you got in the Academy, Suicide Prevention and Signs and Symptoms. So much more had to be done. Well, by the time I came on board in 2009 and given the cookie in 2010, I had to create about uh, 48 hours extra for a total of 56 hours. Now, not all 56 were used. 40, of 40 hours were for certification purposes. The other 16 were for selection in the position, training or on-the-job training, better said. Now, one of the rec- prerequisites that I had to the command staff was that we could just not have a certificate of participation for the millennials. We needed actual people to pass the course. As a result, there was some snickering. There were some people upset at the world. And there were some uh, bleeding hearts that did everything they could, but take the test for the ones that got kicked out. Not many of them, three or four, did not make it. And uh, the reason for that is because they were never supposed to be in the units in the first place. Now, remember what I said that the jail facility was the largest psychiatric facility in the state of Florida. And it was a jail. So the numbers were huge, probably in the area of about 1,200 to 300 uh, psych or mentally ill inmates. And if I count the ones that were on some type of psychotropic medication, the number would get larger. Of course, for those that are out there in the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department listening are giggling and saying, oh, I'll drop in the bucket. But the number in the population of Miami wasn't that big as it is in Los Angeles. Huge undertaking. The jail system itself, all building that was created in 1959 and pieced together many years after that, was not the housing facility that should have been in place. Prior and sometimes sometime in the mid-80s at the jail facility, they would house them in a regular population environment of the main jail and there they would have Almost lockdown conditions, but they could roam around at some point. And they were trying to keep them separate from the general population, but this was a hit or miss, as you can imagine. The ones that were really misbehaving and acting cuckoo were kept down a separate wing, and they were isolated from all the others. as a, As a result, back in 1984, 85. There was an incident that occurred that one of our fearless psych people, we'll just say that, that's the term we'll use, told the facility captain that I think it's best if the young men can come out of their cells and cohabitate gradually for a couple of hours every day, get to know each other, you know, just not let's cage them like animals, and they took the recommendation. But the problem was that the officers really didn't warrant in tuned with sitting around watching this social experiment work. So they would just open the cells and let them cohabitate. Well, the night prior to this incident, there was one that was rowdy, screaming, banging, flooding the cell with the toilet, uh, 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 bang, 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 all night long driving the other ones crazier and not allowing them to sleep. So the collusion commenced to get him tomorrow at the social gathering that they would have every day. As the cells opened, they greeted each other with warm smiles and hugs. And as the officer left, all the rest that could not have any good sleep that night took it out on that Poor young man. At the end of the day, they beat him to death, put him underneath the bunk, covered him up with his mattress. And during some part of that day when the agency had to do the official head count, they discovered that he was not looking good and a little bit blue in the gills. There was the end of housing mentally ill inmates on that floor. They came up with a great temporary idea. They would move them up to a higher floor of that main jail. They even picked the ninth floor to do that. There's only 10 floors, so second to last, way up on top. And they put all the people that heard voices, were paranoid, were scared, were manic, and everything else you can think of, up on that one floor. And they can house them all together, kind of maybe two or three in a room and lock them in, and then they would have their own little area where they could uh, cohabitate. Now, in the forgotten profession, there is first-generation, second-generation, and third-generation jailing. First-generation is prehistoric times where The inmates are in the cell by themselves and the officers are nowhere to be found. But you do see them periodically, maybe once an hour as they walk by and give the cohabitants the finger as they're walking by. The second generation jailing, there is a partition between the officer and those prisoners or inmates. They can watch them, but they can't really have contact with the officer. Then the third generation is where the officer, that poor sucker, has to kind of live with them, smell them, and have a, a, a personal relationship with the bad guys by living or working in their environment. And that is called third generation. Not too good doesn't really work very well with people with mental illness because not all of them know how to do rules and regulations very good. That's a hit or miss. So, they usually kept in that second generation jailing. First was not going to work. Remember, the officer's not really there. He kind of just, oh, don't mind me. I'm just walking by. So, you need somebody to be there periodically, not periodically, but permanently. So, that's going to be the second generation. But the environment they had in this jail wasn't second, wasn't third, wasn't f- one. It wasn't, nobody knows what the hell number it was. That's how bad it was. Remember, I said that they had moved from that general population cell back in the 80s and they were going to temporarily go to this new location on the ninth floor of this main jail of this county and it was going to be temporary in nature and it lasted over 30 years. Over 30 years was the definition of temporary for that agency. Of course, everything that I'm saying could be found on grand jury reports of the time And you can actually see the length of time, when they moved, how they moved, and all that. That was a part of the CIT history. Because, as I said in the first podcast of CIT, you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. So it's very important to put that on the table so everybody knows. All right, we can keep on jabbering, but I wanted to paint that portrait for you. So as we build our course and we're going towards it, let's talk about six items today and we're going to wrap it up so item number 1 learning environment and goals the learning environment should be a classroom environment and also a training environment now when i had the pleasure of doing this some of the command staff were just as nutty as the people they were the officers were studying that they actually thought well you guys could do this at the facility right uh, uh, right you kid and they had no idea of the magnitude of this disaster. And the learning environment should be in those environments where there is no rank. All or everybody in the class is of the same rank. Instructors, of course, rule because then you had chaos. And the smaller the better breaking them up into groups, preferably four in a group, maybe six if you had to push the envelope, and have a monitor or, better known as an instructor, in each group. They would guide them from day one all the way to the end of their training on what they did right and what they did wrong and would push them and challenge them in their ideas and how they resolved problems as they were presented to them. Of course, what I just told you is not a part of the curriculum that was written to 42 pages because the command staff thought that that was a little bit too much. Do we really have to do this? So, apparently the command staff at that time did not realize that there are some in uniform that have mental illness. And when you mixed kind of people with cross-diagnosis of mental illness together, sometimes it doesn't work properly. Therefore, that recommendation was put to the side, but that's what I knew and I know today works. You want to teach them right? You hook them up with a trainer that carries them all through the evolution. But though they just wanted a general instructor. Yeah, kind of like watch and see what they're doing. That kind of nonsense instruction and pre-testing the instruction should be of course adult learn by doing so we don't want to have death by powerpoint but of course we have to have some type of powerpoint especially when the professionals come in and we're going to talk about them in a second and we all know what death by powerpoint will mean so in order to avoid the death by powerpoint there has to be a challenge a challenge. There's with that personal instruction, four to six students in one group get to pick the name of your group, and an instructor carries that group from day one to day five and into their operational environment. But it didn't happen that way, but that's the way it should have worked. Pre-testing was a small quiz, maybe 20 were uh, questions or so just to gather their general knowledge of the psych history, psych world that they supposedly worked in. The majority of the officers, it was a 50-50. Surprisingly, a lot of them, you sure would have figured, well, they would have passed the pretest, but they didn't. So it just showed us that you knew uh, very little about the industry, and we had to teach you a whole lot. Of course, as the course ended, Those pre-test questions that were difficult should have been easy on day five. So we talked about learning environment and goals. The goals, and and I'll I'll go over that real quick, the goals should be to train each officer and or any other partner in dealing with the mentally ill within a correctional environment. Now, that environment does not only sit within the structure of bars or cell doors. That also means when the psych prisoner or inmate goes to court or goes to an outlying facility for treatment. Anywhere that that prisoner or inmate goes and an officer has to be at the ready next to them, That's the environment that we have to simulate in training. Follow? So if you're a transporter, we should show and we should see how you transport the mentally ill. If you're taking them to the yard, we should show and simulate that as well. And if they're going to the clinic or the infirmary or the hospital or an outlying facility, we have to treat all that as a training module. Well, the command staff would have none of that. Just train them in a classroom and that'll be the end of it. So that kind of got cut on the, let's say, uh, Disney cutting floor in production. So, learning environment, goals, instruction, pretest. Now we go to number three targeted audience. Now, as I said, there should be officers and anybody else that's a partner. they are partners. Of course, if we're dealing with mentally ill, we have to have mental health professionals to deal with them, right? Well, they've got to be a part of that as well. Now, one thing that I was not too keen on, that uh, during my course of investigation for the curriculum, 42 pages of, of crisis intervention that was approved with honors by the Department of Justice, I was given thousands of pages from Cook County, Illinois, it's better known as Chicago, and I had to look at the monstrosity that they had. And I was told, look at it, it's 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 pretty good. you know, maybe you get some ideas. And I you know, if you're listening from Chicago, my condolences because that freaking thing was a mess. The first thing that hit me upside the head was that, officers were not first responders. Let me repeat that for the mentally and hearing impaired, that officers were not first responders. So let me explain how this works. If you're a novice, if you come into the jail and you suffer from mental illness, the job of the people at the jail is to make sure that you do not kill yourself or harm yourself in any way so we can have you go to court and we can convict you of whatever the issue you have done to the full capacity of the law sucks to be you, but there'll be no cutting corners by killing yourself. So having officers that they are the primary tool of watching, not being first responders, was freaking mind-boggling. Now, remember that I was told and encouraged, look at this stuff. This is real good stuff. Give you some ideas. Really? So right there, was a, it was a no-brainer. I just couldn't follow the rest of the book because the beginning was full of poopoo. So, nevertheless, that went out the window. So, we talked about our targeted audience. Number four we're going to look at now, Evolution Techniques. And we're going to throw in a term, and I want you to keep this term in your head because it's going to lead us all the way into our 56th hour, and that is readiness drill. Evolution techniques. Every evolution in the training has to be evaluated by that trainer. It was so important to have that trainer geared up with those four to six students And as they were challenged through the course, you could kind of pick who was good, who was bad, who was a leader, who was a follower, and you could set the stage for either disaster or victory. But again, we didn't have that, but we should have had that in the course. Readiness drills for every evolution was something that was very much needed. So if an instructor came in and gave a PowerPoint, death by PowerPoint presentation, let's say of signs and symptoms, then after that course, you should be taking a little quiz as to what you heard and you should have scored high. Now, there could also be a group discussion about certain issues that they might have not understood. But because of command staff decision-making, that was not part of the course that it should have been. Having them ready, because that would have prepared them for the readiness drill, that I want you to keep that term in the back of your head as we move along on these courses. We discussed number five, which is history. We're not going to repeat and kill the dead horse again. And number six, signs and symptoms, and we're going to look at 6A, which is going to be the role of the officer. Now, signs and symptoms, and we could be here for quite a long time and talk about this, but just to hit the mark real quick, signs are notable changes in behavior. It's as simple as that. From mild manner to wearing mustard on your head or whatever. Increase or decrease in behavior. Either increase in bizarre or you're depressed, sleepy, don't want to interact with the rest of the world. It could be positive, it could be negative behavior. Behavioral changes that are radical. And as a result, people are noticing that you're not a good fit in society. The symptoms now are related to a psychological condition. It could be that you're a schizophrenic. It could be that you are uh, bipolar or something uh, similar. It could be the silent killer. The silent killer, uh, I used to call, was depression because you never saw it coming and they would usually kill themselves. But those are the symptoms that have been diagnosed. Symptoms should be specific of a diagnostic. So uh, that's going to go through the psychiatrist now, the psychologist, and they're going to say, inmate A, B, and C has the following conditions. Now, imagine if you will, like they do, or they say on the Twilight Zone, and I don't have the music, so I don't want to get a copyright hit on me, but if you can imagine, if you will, a person that is manic-depressant, in the manic state, hasn't slept for three days, is talking in one complete sentence with no comma or period, and they're inside a little cell a five by ten with a person that suffers from schizophrenia. How do you think that party's going to go these next three days? So the role of the officer in understanding not only the signs and symptoms are going to be fundamental in placement and movement. Now, some of the brain children of the command staff decisions they created, and a lot of the industry have this, the classification personnel or officer. Some places, they are not officers that do classification So they look at a computer screen, and they look at the charges, and they go, well, A can go with B, but he can't go with C. But on the field, the field report, A cannot go with B nor C because A, B, and C are all crazy, and they will drive each other crazy if they're housed together. So when we try to explain to the command staff that had bars and stars for absolutely no reason, they could not understand. Let me give you an example. I'm at a command staff meeting, and we're sitting there. And one of the executive brainiacs tell, make a comment, and they said, what status or what condition would a psych inmate be in our system? So they came up, you know, disciplinary, this and that, and I stood there in freaking amazement that they didn't know it was called administrative. So when I casually mentioned administrative, they looked at me and they said, no, 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 it can't be administrative. You tell me because I used to run the safety cells. No, 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 no. Are you freaking serious? Then who put the crazy person in the cell? Was he punished for being, acting out, or was it a medical procedure? So if it's medical, it should be administrative. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the circus. And this just shows you how the command staff needs to be in sync with the course that is being trained. Now, a lot of the command staff here in this agency had no exposure and never wanted any exposure with the mentally ill. In fact, when they would hear a scream, they would run the opposite direction as fast as humanly possible. As a result, their limited experience, they had no knowledge and no basis or no foundation to understand what the course was all about. They would refer constantly and consistently to the police CIT which, as I said, and I'll say again, was a system of Lyft and Uberism. Now, I've had a couple of officers kind of mention to me, hey, bro, that's not really fair, man. You know, we go through a lot. There are a lot of crazy people out on the street, and there sure are, and there are a lot of cops that do a lot of good out there. And I do have to reflect on that and say that. But the system, not the individual police officer but the system is generated to deal with calls and hump each call as fast as you can so therefore you don't have that quality time of four hours sitting around talking about why you're depressed that you didn't get a Twinkie when you were in second grade you need to expedite and uh, those are kind of vocabulary words that supervisors learn early in their career expedite that call so as a result, you don't have quality time with the nutty professor. So you got to get rid of him. That's what I meant, and that's what I'll continue to say because that's the way the police system works. I know there's a lot of phony departments out there that like to say our oh, CIT officers have no pressure on them whatsoever to clear a call. <coughs> okay. Now, system, the role of the officer on each diagnosis – how do I deal with schizophrenia? What are the things that a schizophrenic really looks at? Well, a schizophrenic not only listens to your spoken words, but your hand movements. Let's say you have your hands in your pocket. The schizophrenic and all of a sudden start to wonder, why does he have his hand in his pocket? What is he trying to hide? Why is he looking at me like that? I don't like the way this is going. And all of a sudden, there could be second and third characters in that role inside his brain. Never a good thing for an officer. So understanding schizophrenia and all the other diagnoses are important. Now, in our uh, first episode of CIT, we did mention that mentally ill people, by and large, are not violent by nature. But a percentage of them are. And I would say, the, you know, because of the co-occurring disorders and mixing that with drugs and all that other stuff out there, I would say a good 10%. And 10% way too many. So if we're looking at about 1,200 inmates or prisoners, talking about 120 violent crazy guys. And you I don't care who you are, but the cop out in the street is not going to deal with 120 crazy guys at the same time. So this is a huge undertaking here, and there has to be a mechanism to deal with the violent and the nonviolent. That was another predicament, another problem, getting our partners like NAMI and all of them to actually recognize that the crisis environment does not have a white picket fence around it and that the officers are dealing with um, Areas where anything can happen at any time and they could be violent at any second. And that the officers being highly trained in subduing them would be to the advantage of all. Well, sometimes it just didn't work in the translation of that. But that's the truth. If, If an officer can't subdue a crazy guy quickly... There's no use, there's no need for that officer to be in that unit. Now, for those that are novices when it comes to physical fighting, actual altercations, never had one. Read a book when I was in third grade once about a fight. Fights don't go usually the way planned, like in the movies. Pop, boom, pam, and down he goes. Fights... Or, you got me, I got you, who could take the punch better, unpredictable, and 20 seconds into it, you are sucking wind, my friends, because you're using every bit of energy that you have. And there's where our psych superheroes have the advantage because they have superhuman strength. Now, I know a lot of you would say, that. I've heard that, but that can't be true. Well, I've personally witnessed them kick doors off of hinges, steel doors, rip toilets out, move and rip bunks off of walls that were made out of steel. (laughs) So, whether that's coincidental or not, I have seen it. Therefore, that tells me whatever psychosis is going through their brain, it is giving them a whole lot of strength. And that psychosis of whatever they're going through, I might not be an officer. I might be a three-headed monster to them. You follow? So the energy level is that much more. So it's so important to know that the role of the officer. Now, we've talked about this as number 6A of the curriculum that we're kind of creating as we go along. But during the course, as long as it takes, we'll always revert back to the role of the officer. It's just not a a single type of role book textbook as the professionals want you to believe. This is schizophrenia. This is bipolar. This is uh, um, depression. This is the, you know, and then you, this is how you can handle it because that textbook and reality are two different worlds one is disney and one is the school of hard knocks so you have to understand that both worlds have to coexist but you have to recognize that the school of hard knocks is real folks nobody gets paid to be a punching bag and everybody wants to go home with their teeth so signs and symptoms it is lengthy um The doctors that were on the course that we did were excellent, each and every one of them. We did have one. He was, uh, I don't know, he was interesting. And, uh, you know, they say that sometimes the psychiatrists and so forth resemble the clientele. But uh, he would sometimes turn his back to the officers and, just look at the PowerPoint by death, and just click away and talk. But uh, he was uh, uh, he was of good spirits, and uh, uh, he put some classes asleep. I do have to admit that. And there was the part of challenging, and that's why we needed to incorporate that forty-six, uh, student ratio to instructor, because that death by PowerPoint was deadly, and it turned into Charlie Brown within 20 minutes of the presentation. Wah, 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 wah. And you didn't hear a word he said after that. And that was four hours, folks. That was four hours of the presentation, and you didn't hear anything. (laughs) All you heard was wah, wah, wah. What good is that going to do you? So signs and symptoms. You can Google it. If you're a graduate from the University of Google, you can Google any signs and symptoms, and it kind of tell you what it is. But if you're going to develop a crisis intervention training course for the forgotten profession of corrections, you've got to know how to put that diagnosis into the criminal justice system. The movement, the housing, the treatment aspect of it. It's a little bit more detailed than just giving a presentation by PowerPoint. So, We have bored you enough. I have done an excellent job in putting some of my audience to sleep. This is only the beginning, folks. We're on the introduction aspect of the crisis intervention training. Again, how long will this cost take take to explain to everybody? All 10, maybe even more. You never know. Episodes, well, as long as it takes. What are you in a freaking hurry? It took some of us 20 years to develop this. So you're not going to learn it overnight. But what I can tell you is, if you continue to listen to Raider Cop Nation, you're going to get the answers that you desperately need. You can count on that. Now, switching gears real quick. Do you have a gun? Now, you know, we talk about guns here all the time. And... I want you now as a summer fast approaching. You know what they say, April showers bring May flowers. That was when I was a kid. Nowadays, you don't know what the hell May's going to bring. It might even bring snow. And I'm not uh, one of those fanatics about the climate change. That's a bunch of baloney. But you don't know what summer's going to bring. But you need to look at your weapon. If you see any rust marks or anything on the side of it, if you, if you don't think it's in working order, you need want to lubricate it. You want to get it in working order. But if you're not really confident, you want to make some changes. Now's the time, and that's why we always encourage all our listeners. One of our co-host and superheroes, Pistol Pete, Pistol Pete can take your gun and transform it into a simple ordinary weapon into a magical weapon. His Master Pete's and work of art are on Facebook, on his website. You can go there, pistolpeteguns.com, and you can actually see the wonderful works he's done. This is the man, Pistol Pete, that I put my life in his hands for many, many years, and I recommend him to you, the listener. So as always, in the show notes, we will put the information for Pistol Pete, the gunsmith, my buddy, and my co-host superhero here, too. He'll be here soon enough. Soon enough. So, let's wrap up what we do. What we talked about. This is the part where I put the nuts and bolts all together, and I tell you what I told you, and then I'm gonna repeat what I told you again. What we spoke about. We talked about cis. Six areas in the correction um, crisis intervention training program. This can also be used for police if a suspect is in a holding cell and being transported as as such. This is not just limited to the forgotten profession. But here we go. A learning environment of the course and the goals, what you're trying to teach is very important and the nature of the learning environment, classroom, operational setting, transportational setting, everything that involves a crazy individual, a suspect or prisoner in police or correctional hands has to be a part of this training. Uh, Instruction, uh, we try to break them up into small groups, four to six, with an instructor. Pre-test, let's find out what they don't know. So, we can kind of put that in the data bank and, and start hitting those areas. Our target audience who's a part of this criminal justice and who should be sitting in the chairs? Is it just officers? Some other people need to come in for portions of this training. The evaluation techniques of how the instructors need to evaluate the student and keeping in mind. The term readiness drill, because that will come during the end of this course as well. The history, don't know where you are going if you don't know where you're coming from. Very important. Whatever facility you're in, whatever jurisdiction you're from, you need to know your history, because it will dictate your future. And signs and symptoms, Whatever the sign and symptom is of the prisoner or inmate in your custody, you have to define to that uh, sign and symptom the role of the officer. What is the officer doing with that specific individual and how do they travel through the criminal justice system? Lot to unwind, folks. We're not even down half page one. On episode 85 of Crisis Intervention, training for the forgotten profession can also be used for the Lyft and Uber profession of police. You can incorporate this from court officer to road officer to jail officer. It is a well-to-do course for all. Everybody should be exposed to some type of Real hands-on CIT training, not death by PowerPoint training. Some people wear those CIT pins. But at the end of the day, what in the world have you learned? Yep, what in the world have you learned? As always, it has been my pleasure and my honor to be your host on Rated Cop Nation. As always... I want you to concentrate very much so on prayer and the prayer of your family, to pray for your community. Very important to pray for yourself. Because if you're not healthy and you're not of sound mind, you're not going to do anybody any good. So you got to pray for yourself and pray for the police or correctional department that serves you. This is Alpha Mike. Till we meet again, folks. Stay safe. And guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam.